Saints, let's pray once more. Our gracious Father, our loving Savior, our every ever-present Holy Spirit, be with us now as we consider uh, this most important and enduring doctrine. We pray, God, that we would uh, even greater love and adore you and the word that you have given to us as the final rule of faith and obedience. We thank you for this in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, good evening once again, brothers and sisters. I once again greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so for the next five Lord's Day evenings, I counted them up. They will not be successive, obviously, because we'll be having fellowship meals and prayer services in between, but... Uh, for the next five nights that we are actually teaching, we'll be going through a, a variety of topical sermons that I pray will be beneficial for you. And uh, they will be more, I think, more lessons than sermons. Uh, but tonight, uh, with God's help, I would like to consider with you the doctrine of sola scriptura. Sola scriptura. Now, let me say at the outset... This is not an exhaustive study on this particular doctrine. As a matter of fact, uh, tonight we will probably only be scratching the surface on this most important doctrine. Uh, there was a conference of Reformed Baptist brothers uh, during the uh, month of Reformation, uh, where if you're looking for probably a more intensive, uh, a more in-depth study on the doctrine of Sola Scriptura, maybe go back to hear that conference but there are plenty of resources that can give you more information about uh, what Sola Scriptura is. Tonight, with God's help, uh, we will examine the doctrine and compare it with Rome, the Roman Catholic view that the scriptures are not the sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving faith and knowledge, as our confession says, and obedience, but that the scriptures plus tradition, as Rome says, and plus papal infallibility are the sufficient, are sufficient for faith and practice. That is, Rome believes that it's not the scriptures alone that are the sole rule of faith and obedience, but Rome believes that it is the scriptures, it is tradition, and it is papal infallibility. That is, something that comes down from the Pope will be as if God himself has said it. We'll begin this evening with a quote from Basil of Caesarea, who, when he encountered uh, opponents who claimed authority for their own customs and traditions, the things that they were doing, over against that which prevailed in Basil's experience, which is the word of God, he, he responded in these words. So there was a dispute over a practice. Uh, these who were contending against Basel, we're saying the customs that we have and our tradition are the reason why we do what we do. And here is what Basel said. If custom is to be taken in proof of what is right, then what is certainly competent for me to put forward on my side, the custom which obtains here. If they reject this, we are clearly not bound to follow them. Therefore, let God-inspired scripture decide between us. And on whichever side be found doctrines in harmony with the word of God. In favor of that side, 
will be cast the vote of truth. Basil Zobazel's argument is that uh, if there are disputes about what Christians should believe and how Christians should conduct themselves, the answer is not found in the traditions of men or in the word of a man who is set up as the representation of Christ on this earth, namely the Pope, but the word of God alone settles all disputes. The word of God alone settles all disputes. Only the word of God is certain. Only the word of God is trustworthy. Only the word of God is reliable. Basel appealed to that God-inspired word in order to settle the dispute between himself and his opponents. The reason being that all believers are bound to the word of God as the final rule of authority. At the time of the Reformation, two great cries were heard throughout the land, and both were spoken in Latin. Sola fide and sola scriptura. What is sola fide and what is sola scriptura? Very briefly, sola fide, or faith alone, during the Reformation is known as the material principle of the Reformation. Again, sola fide is known as the material principle of the Reformation. Sola fide, uh, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, was contended for the time during the Reformation. But faith alone, and the contention during the Reformation for faith alone, was not the first time that this doctrine of faith alone, sola fide, was contended for. What is required of man in order for man to be reconciled to God through the doing, dying, and rising of Christ? What is required of us? Faith is required. Faith alone. The wonder of the grace of God is that our confession teaches, that the Bible teaches in chapter 7 of our confession, that God actually requires faith and then gives the faith that he requires in order for one to be saved. God requires faith in order for one to be saved. Sola fide. How will you acquire that which God demands? God will give it. God gives the very thing that he commands. The very thing that he demands. But it was, again, not the first time that this doctrine of sola fide was contended for. During the first council, the council of Jerusalem, in Acts chapter 15, the debate was over whether one needed to keep the Mosaic law with all of its ceremonies in order to be saved. Must one submit to the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial laws of the Mosaic covenant, the Mosaic law, in order to be saved? The conclusion was in Acts chapter 15, verse 11, we believe that we are saved through grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way all are, better interpreted, in, in the same way that all are. All are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. The message of the gospel is that there is a free gift of God's grace and the fact that he makes men right with himself through Christ's atoning work on the cross, and it is by faith alone. Sola Scriptura, we just discussed briefly sola fide, sola Scriptura is the formal principle of the Reformation. The formal principle of the Reformation. The Reformers boldly taught that dogmas, 
Well, you should become familiar with the, that word in the next few weeks, dogmas. And beliefs defined on a basis other than the scriptures were not binding on Christians. Dogmas such as papal infallibility, indulgences, purgatory, the mass, veneration of Mary. Uh, Brother Bobby spoke about this at our 430 class. Uh, Mortal and venial sins. All of these doctrines have been delivered, they say, by oral tradition or by declaration of a man who was not one of the apostles that has been made authoritative in the church of Rome. They argue that the only infallible rule of faith uh, is not found in the Holy Scriptures alone, but in these three different experiences or instances that I just mentioned. If you have been in this church for any length of time, you would have heard of the doctrine of sola scriptura, or what we confess together in our confession, 1689 LBC. This evening, with God's help, I would like to work towards a very simple, again, we're just scratching the surface of this, a very simple definition of sola scriptura. But as we often do when defining a thing, we must we must first begin with what it is not, and then we will get into what it is. So, uh, what sola scriptura is not, and, and I... If, you all don't mind. Brother Ray, would you mind turning the air on one more time, brother? Thank you. I don't know why it got so hot as an oven in here this morning. Uh, let's go through uh, very briefly uh, what sola scriptura is not. Number one, sola scriptura is not the claim that the Bible contains, listen to this, all knowledge. The Bible is not going to tell you what 10 plus 10 is or 10 times 10 is. The Bible is not meaning to be a science textbook. It's not going to tell you about dinosaurs and where they came from. It's not a manual on church on, it's not a manual on governmental procedures. Nor is it a guide on how to change your oil. It does not claim to give us every bit of knowledge that one could ever obtain or need to know. Secondly, Sola Scriptura is not a claim that the Bible is an exhaustive catalog of all religious knowledge. Uh, John, the apostle, commented on the wide range of Jesus' teachings and ministry, saying in John chapter 21, verse 25, And there also are many things which Jesus did, which if, there, if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. Of all the things that Christ has said, all of them are not recorded for us. This means that not everything that Jesus has said is provided for us. Are there things that Jesus has said that would be profitable for us? Of course. Are they recorded for us in the scripture? No. Why? Well, it is because of passages like this that Roman Catholic apologist Carl Keating explained, the Bible actually denies that it is the complete rule of faith. This is what the Roman Catholic apologist says. John tells us that not everything concerning Christ's work is in Scripture. And Paul says that much Christian teaching is found to be in the tradition that has been handed down by word of mouth, 2 Timothy 2.2. So what is he saying? That because, he is saying, that because the Scriptures do not contain an exhaustive detail of all that could be detailed, then even the scriptures themselves are not sufficient enough for us in our faith. 
we must look elsewhere, they say. And that elsewhere, Keating points out, is found in their oral tradition or just in tradition itself. And it is also in these so-called traditions that we will find the dogmatic teachings of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, what are the things that Jesus taught that the world could not contain? That all the books in the world could not contain? Do you ever think about that? If we had the, the books of Jesus, if you will, all the books uh, that contained all the things that Jesus ever taught, I wonder what they would be. Well, let's ask this. Would they be teachings concerning the role that one man would take as leader of the entire church? Other than himself. Would they be how the world must view his mother? And venerate her, or in a sense, worship her. Would they be how the Lord's Supper, which we'll take tonight, is to be re-offered as his body, once again, being offered for the sins of men. Over and over again, week after week. I wonder if if that would be found in the teachings that Christ uh, was not able to, uh, that John was not able to fit into the Bible, but that would be elsewhere in other traditions. Saints, I think not. If the teachings of Christ were as binding as the previous mentioned dogmas, then there would be found, they would be found within the Holy Scriptures and not in some kind of tradition alone. All that we need for faith and obedience is found in the word of God. All of the things that Jesus has said, they are at least contained within the epistles of the rest of the New Testament and all that has been taught both old and new. Everything that Christ means for us to know is contained within the Holy Scriptures. The Bible does not not need to be exhaustive in order for it to be sufficient as our source our sole source of divine truth and authority. The Bible is exhaustive. It has given us everything that we need. The Bible has given us all that we need for faith and obedience. All that we have is all that God has intended for us to know. Thirdly, sola scriptura is not a denial of the authority of the church to teach God's word. Many Roman Catholic apologists, they present us with two choices. The Bible... Or the church. But you can't have both. One must be the authority. And one cannot be. They cannot both be the authority. They will deny this. But it's exactly what they teach in Rome. She, by her Rome, by her own admission, denies the doctrine of sola scriptura, scripture alone. Dr. Pacwa, a Roman Catholic apologist, says he hates all of the solas. Hates all of the solas. Instead, Rome believes that she has the authority, the Church of Rome, to determine what God has said and determine what God has not said. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15, But in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the Church of a living God. Listen to this, the pillar and support of the truth. Pillar and support of truth. The Roman Catholic Church has taken this to mean that the church, the the church itself, is the pillar and is the support of all truth or even the source of all truth. Now, there's a difference between recognizing and confessing the church as being the pillar and support of truth over confessing that the church to be the final power and authority to define what is truth. 
We do not get to define what truth is. God's word defines what truth is. We then teach it. The church, as the body of Christ, presents and upholds the truth. But the church remains subjected to the truth. The church is not above the truth. We are the bride of Christ. We listen and obey the words of our Lord. And those words are found in the scriptures and in the scriptures alone. Number four, sola scriptura is not a denial that the word of God has at times been spoken and then passed on. There's nothing in the, in the doctrine of sola scriptura that denies the simple reality that in times past, God's word has been spoken through the preaching of the prophets or apostles as well as written. And that those preached or uh, written words have been passed on and have been identified as inspired by God. Do we have any examples of uh, messages that were just spoken? And as, as, as they were spoken, they weren't necessarily being written down. They were spoken. That tradition was passed on, preserved, and then became inspired by God. Well, we have Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Peter's sermon became an oral tradition passed on that was eventually uh, recounted by Luke as he brings it into God's holy word. Paul in Athens, when he's making a defense of uh, the one true God, was written down and recorded by Luke and became inspired by God. Here's one. The entire life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of it recounted by his disciples and eventually written down for his people as being the infallible word of God. May I say to you, though, this is the exception and not the rule. It's the exception and not the rule. The rule is found in the scriptures. Uh, the Protestant position insists that all God intends for us to have that is infallible, binding, and authoritative today has been provided for us in the certain, clear, uh, understandable, and reliable holy scriptures. We Protestants, we argue that the scriptures are complete, while Rome argues that they are not complete. And that they need to be supported by oral traditions, not in scripture, that carry more inspired revelation or in a traditional source of interpretation, which we'll get to in a few moments. Uh, number five, sola scriptura does not entail the rejection of every kind or form of tradition. Meaning this, there are some traditions that are God honoring and useful for the church. Uh, sola scriptura means that any tradition, uh, no matter how ancient it might seem, must be tested by a higher authority, namely the authority of the word of God. We know this well, don't we, in our church? We hold to, I don't have it in front of me, the 1689 London Baptist Confession. It is a tradition, but we hold to the confession and we don't hold it above scripture. And neither does our confession hold itself above Scripture. It holds itself below Scripture. Uh, the confession is a supplement to the Scriptures. It is a summary of the vital doctrines of the Christian faith. Do you know that we also hold to ancient creeds, uh, ancient confessions? We hold to the Apostles' Creed. We hold to the Nicene Creed. We hold to the Chalcedonian Creed. But these creeds only confess the things that the Scriptures teach. They are not formulating something new. 
They are not uncovering, or they are uncovering, not, not reinventing or inventing something new. Number six, sola scriptura is not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. I realize that I'm going fast through some of these points. I can send you the notes if you need. Uh, again, sola scriptura is not a denial of the role of the Holy Spirit in guiding and enlightening the church. This is not a muzzle, the Holy Spirit doctrine. It recognizes that the Spirit gives us understanding in everything. The role of the Holy Spirit is enlightening the mind, giving guidance and understanding, and it is inherent to the very belief of the doctrine itself. Number seven, Sola Scriptura is not a promise of unity amongst we who believe in the Scriptures alone. That makes sense? We're all open to error because we are fallible people, but the Scriptures are infallible. We will make mistakes. The Scriptures will not. There are many who believe that the Bible is the rule of faith and obedience, and yet we disagree on what the Bible actually teaches. Just because you believe in the Bible and I believe in the Bible doesn't mean that we're actually going to believe on what the Bible teaches. Amen. There are uh, Calvinists and Arminians who both believe the Word of God is the final rule of authority, and yet we disagree on many things. Now that we have defined, I think, sola scriptura uh, and what it is not, I should say, let us define what sola scriptura is and where we differ from Rome. What is sola scriptura? We'll go through these also quickly itself as well. Sola scriptura. The scriptures alone are sufficient to function as the, here's a, a new word for some of you, regula fide. Regula fide. That is infallible rule of faith for the church. Regula fide. We are talking about the nature of scripture. They are God-breathed revelation, sufficient to provide the rule of faith necessary for the church's mission in the world. They are the words of God, and nothing else written in all the world meets that criteria. Only the word of God. Scriptures alone are sufficient as the regular or infallible rule of faith for the church. Number two, all that one must believe to be a Christian is found in the scriptures and in no other infallible source, because there is no other infallible source. There is no necessary belief, doctrine, or dogma absolutely required for, of a person for the entrance into the kingdom of God that is not found in the revelation of God in his holy word. How do I know how to be saved? Go to God's word. Uh, don't go to a book, although they may be helpful. And don't go to a confession, although they, they may be helpful. They would have nothing to say if the scriptures themselves first did not tell them what to say. Number three, that which is not found in scripture, either directly or by implication, is not binding upon the church or the Christian. That makes sense? I'm going to say it again. That which is not found in scripture, either directly or by implication, is not binding upon the Christian or the church. One theologian has said, the Bible claims to be the sole and sufficient infallible rule of faith for the Christian church. The scriptures are not in need of any supplement. Their authority comes from their nature as God-breathed revelation. Their authority is not dependent upon man, church, or council. The scriptures are self-consistent, self-interpreting, and self-authenticating. The Christian church looks at the scriptures as the only infallible and sufficient rule of faith. And the church is always subject to the word and is constantly reformed. 
1689, London Baptist Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 4 says, The authority of the Holy Scriptures, for which it ought to be believed and obeyed, dependeth upon, not upon, the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. And therefore, it is to be received because it is the word of God. And paragraph 7 says, All things in Scripture are, are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike cleared unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of Scripture or other that they that not only the learned but the unlearned in due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. Meaning, number four, Scripture reveals those things necessary for salvation. That's what it means. Scripture reveals those things that are necessary for salvation. Again, not that scripture is exhaustive of all knowledge, but that what, that which is necessary for salvation is found and clear in the scriptures. Faith, grace, repentance, Christ, etc. All found within the holy scriptures. Number five. All traditions are subject to the higher authority of the scriptures. Uh, let's go to Matthew. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 1. <clears throat> then some of the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered to, and said to them, Why do you, you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to you or given to God. He is to honor his father or mother. And by this, you invalidate the word of God. Listen to this. For the sake of your tradition, you hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But in vain did they worship me teaching the doctrines, teaching as doctrines, the precepts or traditions of men. Verse four, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? The Roman Catholic Church may ask, on what biblical basis do you hold to sola scriptura? Show it to me in the Bible. They may say, show me a verse where the Bible says sola scriptura. We answer by stating that sola scriptura is based on the based upon the nature of scripture as the word of God. It's based upon the nature of scripture. This is God's holy inspired word. Scripture cannot be sufficient unless we believe that the nature of scripture is divine. These are God's words. People don't believe that the Bible is sufficient. And many on both sides don't believe that it is divine. Ask someone who is a so-called Christian. Do you believe God's word to be God's word. You'll be surprised at some of the answers you'll get. Well, I think there's probably some errors there. I think there's probably some things that have been changed here and there. What a shame for a so-called Christian to call himself a Christian and yet not believe that God's word is God's word. The reformers had the highest view of God's word, the highest view of God, and therefore had a solid foundation onto wit on which to stand in defending the sufficiency of the scriptures. So first, we hold to the scriptures because the scriptures are divine. Therefore, they are sufficient. 
Because they are divine, they are sufficient. Because they are from God, they are enough. Our second answer for the basis of sola scriptura comes from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 through 17. We all know this. For God's word or for the word of God is God-breathed. The scriptures are God-breathed. The Greek that is so often used, they are theanoustas. They are God-breathed. They are able by their very nature to give us wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ. All things necessary for salvation are found in the word of God. They are able to fully equip the man of God for the ministry of God. All things necessary for faith and life. Paul uh, is saying that these words come straight from God himself. Which amazes me. Uh, When we are preaching God's word, how we would so easily be distracted. It is God who is speaking. Imagine if God came to you at night and began to speak to you. You would be all ears. You would be like George McFly when Darth Vader came to visit him in the middle of the night. You would do anything he said. You don't know back to the future. I'm sorry. Well, let me give it to you again. George McFly, his son wants him to do something. He doesn't want to do it. Then all of a sudden he comes in his spacesuit. He plays something in his ears and says, I'm from the future. I'm telling you to do this. And George McFly is freaked out. And therefore, he's going to do anything, this person in the space suit who calls himself Darth Vader, anything he's going to, anything he says, the next day, he goes and carry, carries out all of Darth Vader's uh, commands. What about you? When you hear God's word, it's God's word. It's not Darth Vader. It's God's word. Do you hear it and say, I will do all that you command out of utter awe, love, fear, devotion to you? I pray that that would be our response. B.B. Warfield says, uh, concerning the God-breathed word uh, that we have, what it confirms is that scripture, the scriptures owe their origin to an activity of God, the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful statement that is. What this affirms, that the scriptures owe their origin to the activity of God, the Holy Ghost. And are the highest and truest sense of his creation. It is on this foundation of divine origin. That all the high attributes of the scripture are built. God created this. It's his word. It's greater than the Grand Canyon. It's greater than Orion that you might see in the night sky. It is God breathed word. When we open the scriptures, our approach to the scriptures should be, God, let me be in awe of your word. Help me to see all the things that you are showing me, to understand all that you want me to know. Don't we approach the scriptures sometimes and go, whew, my wife and I do sometimes. That's a long chapter. First Kings chapter, I think it was 18, uh, 16. Oh, that's a long one. All right, let's go. It's God's word. It's God's word. Here's the point. Because of the origin of scripture, because the the origin of scripture is in God himself, the authority of scripture is God's authority. One of the first things that we deal with in the matters of this issue is ultimately authority. What is your source of religious truth? Have that conversation when people say what they believe and why they believe it. Uh, Interesting. What's your source of authority? Cite your source. Who said what you just said? 
What are you getting that from? Wouldn't it be wonderful to say God in his word rather than uh, it's just what I feel. It's what I think. How unreliable is that? It's just what I think. Go to God's word. It's not a tradition. It's God's word. Uh, It's not the antichrist of the pope. It's God's word. That is the only source of authority. We're going to teach a sermon in a few weeks. The Pope is the Antichrist. Get ready for that one. There are two positions that one can take when dealing with the Roman Catholic Church. The position is either sola scriptura or what has been called sola ecclesia or ecclesia. Uh, Ecclesia would be the more Greek. Ecclesia would be the more Latin. Sola scriptura or sola ecclesia. Which one will you choose? The word has the final authority for the church. Or does the church have the final authority for the word? See the two directions? Uh, The word, God's word, has the final authority for the church. Or the church has the final authority for the word. It just doesn't even sound right, does it? The, The former is true. Rome claims that she has authority, ultimate authority, to define the content of scripture. Some of you may say, I'm not a Roman Catholic anymore because I didn't like going to confession. Wrong. That's not why you're not a Roman Catholic anymore. It's because of doctrines like these. That's why you're not a Roman Catholic anymore. I just didn't like lighting the candles. Wrong. That's not the basis of Roman Catholic theology. These are the more important matters. What Rome means is that she has the right to determine what's canon and what's not? That's why when you go to and, and open up their Roman Catholic Bibles, you say, what, the book of who? The book of what? Where did that book come from? Rome decided they're going to add it. They decide what is and what is not scripture. She also claims that the ultimate and infallible authority to determine the meaning and interpretation of scripture is found within the church as well. The church gets to determine and decide what God means. It's also dangerous. Not only does she decide, does, does Rome, uh, the harlot, decide what is and what is not scripture, the harlot also des- des- decides what it means and what it doesn't mean. Rome claims to have ultimate infallibility, ultimate authority to determine the extent even of tradition. That's a tradition, that's not. That's uh, acceptable, that's not. Do you see how shaky and unreliable that is? And she also claims to determine to have the claims the authority to determine what tradition does and does not teach. That's a lot of power. So while Rome claims to be the servant of the scriptures and tradition, she is in reality the master of determining what the scripture is and what it means, what tradition is and what it means. Rome uh, is not mastered by God and his word. Rome masters God and his word. That's why you're not in Rome anymore. If you define the, those two sources and also claim to be one who knows what those two sources say, you cannot be a servant of those sources. You are, again, the master of those sources. Rome will not defend herself on this matter, and she feels no need to. The doctrine of sola scriptura, scriptura is straightforward, but it is rarely properly presented or understood by Roman Catholics. Listen to some of their debates. They so often misunderstand what we mean by sola scriptura. 
Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 31, have you not read what was said to you by God? The scriptures are speaking to us. They are God-breathed or theonostos, to us. God's word is the ultimate authority in all things. And God cannot refer to any higher authority other than himself to establish what he has said. It is an absolute authority. Augustine said, what more shall I teach you than what we read in the apostles? For the Holy Scripture fixes the rule of our doctrine unless we dare to be wiser than we ought. Therefore, I should not teach you anything else except to expound to you the words of the teacher. I can only tell you what Christ has said. I'm not going to make up things that Christ has not said. Everyone has a final source of truth. Everyone has a final source of authority. Mormons, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Roman Catholics. Matthew chapter 18 uh, is often misused to make the church the ultimate source of power and, and truth and authority. Jesus commends those in Revelation who tested the apostles to see if they were truly apostles. The Bereans went to the scriptures to see if what Paul taught was actually true. They went to the source. When something was in question, they didn't go to traditions. They didn't go to a specific person. They went to the word of God. Where do you go? Where do you go to find out what is true? I pray that you go to God's word. Rome will say that she is the pillar and foundation of truth. The church, at least. What does the what does a pillar and foundation do? What do these poles do? I asked someone once upon a time, can we take these poles out? My son has a goose egg from hitting that pole. We can't take the poles out. Why not? This whole building will come falling down if we do. Well, we don't want to do that, do we? It holds something else up. What does the church do? The church is supposed to hold up the truth of God for all men to see, for all men to hear. The church never confuses herself as being that truth. We only hold up the truth. The church is the body of Christ. She hears Christ speaking to her in his word. She never substitute her voice for the master's voice. Here's what God says. Only the scriptures are God-breathed. The church is never described as being God-breathed, is it? Only the scriptures are God-breathed. The, church, the Bible never says the church is God-breathed. The scriptures are God-breathed, and we say what God says. Rome will say that tradition is inspired. The Council of Trent said that God's revelation comes partem, partem. Partly written in tradition and partly in oral tradition. So if you only have the scriptures, then Rome says you don't have enough. You need to join Rome so you can know the rest of the story. Not in the least. Not in the least. In closing, <clears throat> when Athanasius <clears throat> stood against the church, he was kicked out of the church five times. He was pursued by 5,000 soldiers because he held to the scriptures alone. And Athanasius said, for indeed the holy... Uh, for indeed, the holy and God-breathed scriptures are self-sufficient for the preaching of the truth. He stood against the church. He stood against councils and would not give in because what they were teaching was not what the scriptures taught. It was, as was said, Athanasius against the world. More accurately, God's word against the world. Can you trace 
the bodily uh, assumption of Mary in Scripture? How about papal infallibility? How about purgatory? How about indulgences? No. You can't trace any of them in Scripture because they don't come from that authority. They come from some man-made authority. Well, why do Roman Catholics believe these things? Uh, They believe these things because they believe they have the right to determine what is true and what's not. They, Rome has been ultimately deceived by the great serpent. I close with the words of Christ when confronted with the people and their traditions that said they were divine. He said in Matthew chapter 15, 6, for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. Brothers and sisters, I pray that you would test everything according to the word of God. That when you hear something, you would not say, I just don't feel right about it. You would go to the word of God. Don't trust your heart this morning, we said. For God's word is greater than our heart. Brothers and sisters, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer.